So good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we got a lot of people who are out and about. My own family, many of them are off camping in Moses Lake because it's sunny over there. <laughs> Good for them. Um, it's sunny here too. Today, the 27th, here's a proverb from chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's so true. So we've been in a series about the promises of God, and we've not only been exploring specific promises, but over this time, we've been actually building a theology about God's promises. And um, I'm going to take just a minute to review that, but I do want to um, start with this verse, which we're going to get to several times today about the theology of a promise. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God, all of them, find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen, our agreement to God for his glory. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. I have to say that, that, that there, there have been and there still are times when I'll read certain passages in the word of God and I'll go, it's got to be true because it's the word of God, but it kind of goes right over my head. And this has been one before. Until you take the time to actually study a verse like this, sometimes it's... it's a, so we're going to spend a little bit of time on this today. But anyway, we've been, we've been developing this theology and I'm going to run through the points. Number one was, was that God is a promiser. Okay, notice in the text, for all the promises of God, the NASV says, as many as are the promises of God. The NIV, no matter how many promises God has made. The bottom line, the consensus of all the translations is that God has made a lot of promises. God loves to make promises. He's a promiser. And our definition of God's promises is this, what we had up, and it's up on the screen now. Um, God's promise is an assurance that God gives to his people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work, okay? And, um, you know, I was, life was going along pretty great, and things were going well, and then all of a sudden some things happened in my family or in my finances or in my health, and something big came into my life, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Now I've got to dig into God's word and find the promises there that, to get some assurance, to get some assurance. Promises are an assurance God gives his people so that they walk by faith they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. And uh, today, um, you know, it's the, the deal is that, the, the, that while I'm in that crisis, during this moment, today, while that's going on, in that moment of crisis, that's, you know, then I'm able to walk by faith when I have God's promises and I wait for him to work. And I would concede, you would agree, that life would be a lot easier when the dilemma comes up if right now we get the answer, right? Face a dilemma, there's the answer coming right on the heels. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Does that work out for most of you? Or is there some, there's some waiting usually involved. You know, it's not like that. It's going to take a while. It might be days. It might be weeks, months, years. God forbid. Sometimes I know people have been waiting for things for decades. And, you know, how do you get through that? How do you sleep at night? How, 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 how do you go through the motions with this thing hanging out there just over your head? Well, here's how. God has made some promises. He's made some promises, and his promises are what we hold on to. It's an assurance that God loves us, and he, he doesn't want you wandering and wavering and you know, zigzagging and not knowing. He wants us to live with confidence, and that's why we walk by faith. So God's a promiser. Second thing is that God keeps his promises. He keeps them. You know, we make promises, we humans, we people sitting in this room, we make promises, and you know, sometimes they're yes. 
Sometimes there, we'll see. Sometimes there may be, or sometimes there will, I'll try hard. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, I don't want to embarrass you in front of your wife, but sometimes it's, I forgot. Sometimes it's, I changed my mind. And sadly, sometimes it's, well, if I'm going to be completely honest, I never intended to keep the promise in the first place. I just wanted the part I got from you, right? All these things happen with promises humans make, but all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ, in him. He can't lie. God can't forget. He delivers on them all of the time. Those are God's promises. Who else can say that? You know, who, who else can say that they deliver 100% on all the promises? I mean, I mean, if you just look at history and you just look at the news and see what's going on out there, you'll see that there's a whole lot of problems with promises. You know, if you, if you go online, if you do any business online with vendors where you get your information out there, or if you participate in social media online, you know, they, if they would claim, if they would make good on the promises they claim, I mean, have you read a privacy policy lately? Have any of you actually read the whole thing? I've tried and just kind of given up. It's like, I, I got to pack a lunch to finish this thing. I think privacy policies should be 25 words, right? We're going to use your information and we're going to sell it for a profit. Or we're going to spy on you. Or, you know, I mean, they should just tell us in simple words rather than hiding it in a cloud of confusing, tail covering, okay, that's terrible. Anyway, but it just makes me feel like if you have to take that many words to tell me what you're going to do with my information, I can't trust you. Your promises are no good. You're hiding your intent, right? You follow me? <laughs> I'm ranting. Okay, so, um, but, but we don't, we don't, promises are just, they don't have the value in our, in, our, in our culture. Like, I think it's always been this way that, you know, sometimes people will get a loan and they intend to, but they don't keep the promise and and something happens, or people sometimes in authority. And um, it's sad to watch that. I mean, people that you got to be able to trust. I mean, I'm, I am so grateful, so grateful, and I am respectful, and I trust police officers. But when you hear about a, a police officer breaking the law that they're supposed to keep, you know, they, they, and I, I'm embarrassed for them. I'm embarrassed every time I hear about some preacher somewhere not living up to and shamming or whatever. I'm just embarrassed about that, right? I mean, when you see people who should stand in authority and be trustable, and listen, no disrespect to the police. I'm a, I'm a police supporter. I have friends who are police. I'm a pastor supporter. I have friends who are pastors. But when that happens, it just, I'm embarrassed about it. Too many people make promises that they just don't keep. So you have to, on this topic, decide to, to just go ahead for a minute and unscrew the top of your head, pull out your brain, rinse it, give it a good rinse to get all that dust off and then cram it back in there. Because if you allow the world to, to, to define God's promises for you, you will never catch this. So rinse your brain and um, because God has nothing to do with those kinds of promises. Nothing, absolutely nothing to do. And when God says, I promise, it's flat out gonna happen. It will happen. 
God's a promiser. He keeps his promises. Three, God wants us to test his promises. We spent some time on that because um, uh, Jesus had this conversation with the devil when he, was, when, when he was tempting him and saying, you shouldn't test the Lord your God. But that's, that's a different, we studied that out. What, what, what Jesus is saying there and was teaching there when you studied out what Jesus said there and in Deuteronomy that he was quoting, he's basically saying, you don't act foolishly and then ask God to bail you out, right? Makes sense? You don't, and, and you don't act willfully and provoke God to judge you. You just don't do those kinds of things. You know, for example, I wouldn't decide just to get out of my car and just go zigzag across I-5 walking and just say, well, if God wants me to preach next Sunday, I won't get hit by a truck. <laughs> That's just not smart. It's just not smart. That's foolish. You know, I don't act foolishly and expect God to to bail me out. Another example is that we don't act willfully, you know. If there really is a God, then let him strike me dead. Don't say that. (laughs) There really is a God. God knows my heart, okay. He knows that I wasn't asking him to strike me dead. But I mean, don't, Jesus said there will come a time where every, you will be responsible, held accountable for every idle word from your mouth. Matthew 12, you can look it up if you want, but Jesus, that's what it means when Jesus said, don't put God to the test, you know, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen. So we choose, we, we claim God's promises, we embrace them, we trust them. I grew up in Spokane and um, the winters there were a little different than here. There were lakes around the town and I, I don't really remember when it first started, but I think my mom and dad took me at times to cousins and, and we went out on lakes and we would ice skate, ice skating on lakes and, and um, just kind of the deal. And, and uh, I'm, as a little boy, I was kind of an explorer and um, I would notice that over time, you know, if, 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 you were, if you were there in the middle of winter, you'd just walk out on the lake. But there were other times that you may not know this, but um, when a lake freezes, it typically freezes in the center and the ice gets thicker in the center than around the edges. I don't know if it's the lapping that goes on there or the, the warmth of the ground underneath, whatever it is. But it is when the lake can be frozen, but the edge can be not frozen. And so there's this risk time and this risk factor. And so, you know, if you want to get on there, you might have to make a leap, okay? And um, so as a kid, I made a few leaps. And um, um, I remember one time um, on Christmas uh, with my cousins, and we had decided it was cold that day. It was like 25, Christmas Day, middle of the day, and we were out doing whatever was going on in the middle of the day. And we went over to the Manitou, Manitou Park in Spokane. There's a big old duck pond there. And for some reason, I found myself with my two cousins, Pam and Linda, out. We were always in trouble, the three of us. But anyway, um, their fault. <laughs> but we're out in the, and we're out on the ice in this duck pond in 25 degrees with a breeze, um, day, Christmas day in Spokane, about a mile from my house, and I'm out there, and the ice breaks out from underneath us. I don't know, I don't know who went first, but um, it, was, it was over my head. Crack, splash. <laughs> cold, it was really cold. And, um, you know, I, I remember bouncing off the bottom, grabbing for the ice, and in one motion, somehow getting myself back up on thick enough ice, getting off the ice. It's 25 degrees, the wind's blowing, and I'm soaking wet a mile from my house, you know, 10-year-old skinny little boy with no extra, I know it's hard to believe skinny, but, <laughs> um, but running for home, um, surprising, it's surprising when I look back now, I'm surprised I didn't die from hypothermia, I mean, just in that deal. 
you know, because it was cold. The thing is, you can never know for certain if the ice would hold you up. You could trust your mom and dad if they said it's safe to skate, but I found myself in places when my mom and dad weren't there, and I was a bit of a risk taker, I guess would be fair to say. A little boy. I was a little boy, and I had to learn it for myself. And um, you'd get yourself soaked pretty easily if you weren't careful. In terms of the promises of God, he wants you to get out on the ice. You know, He wants you to get out there and test his promises. He, wa- he wants you to find out if those promises are going to actually hold you up and support you. You don't have to lay awake. You don't have to pace back and forth. God wants us to test his promises. He wants us to believe them, to hold on to them, and, 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 and to trust him. And then we talked about the fact that God's promises are activated by faith. You know, Matthew, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's this one point where Jesus and his disciples are wandering around doing stuff. Wandering is the wrong word, but they're traveling around doing things and, and uh, all of the plans that the Lord had and his strategy and what he, what he was figuring out. But th- there's a mention there of one area that Jesus went, and Scripture says he couldn't do much there. And the reason that he gives is, he said, because the people, because of their unbelief, their unbelief, you know, what, what, how awful would it be said? I would never want that to be said about our church, that the Lord can't do anything here at Crossroads because of our unbelief. I don't believe that's true. I think there's belief and I see the Lord doing things and it's, it's, it's good. But what if the Lord would have to say that about your marriage or your home life or your, you know, your family? Lord, why aren't you doing more in our church? Well, it's because you don't believe. Why aren't you doing more in my business, God? Well, it's because you just don't believe. I mean, how many times do you hear the phrase coming out of Jesus' mouth when you read this gospel? Oh, you have little faith. It's kind of creepy. Okay, Mark, Mark 11, 22 and 24. Here's Jesus talking. He says, have faith in God. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, you need to read that to get the context, but it's obvious that the Lord wants us to put our faith in him. God promised it. I asked for it. It's not a matter of if he's going to do it. It's just a matter of when I'm going to see it. God's promises are activated by faith. They're just not passive. You know, it's, it's like the guy who's looking for better health, but he just doesn't go to the doctor. Well, if God wants to heal me, he'll just heal me. No, that's just foolishness. Go to the doctor. Or a guy who's, and listen, I've encountered this, a guy who's looking for a wife, but he won't muster up the courage to ask her to go have a cup of coffee. You know, it's, it's, as, if, it's as if, you know, hey, she's just going to have to come and interrupt me at my Xbox, you know. <laughs> There's not a lot of women looking for a husband at your Xbox. <laughs> It's kind of my attitude about the lottery. I may win the lottery someday, but I'm not going to buy a ticket. I'm not. I may still win because if, the God, if God wants me to win the lottery, I don't have to buy the ticket. Someone will give, away, give me the ticket or it'll be laying on the ground. I am not putting my money that God has given to me into the lottery. And if you want to win the lottery, you ought to take the exact same attitude. Anybody here won the lottery yet? I haven't seen it in the tithes, by the way. <laughs> but if you have won the lottery, okay, you can, you know, whatever. 
or it's the or it's the person who is just hoping. They're just hoping. They're but they're filled with concern, and, and they just want to have some hope. But it's God's promise that gives us the hope. I mean, this don't answer this question, but ask yourself: How many of God's promises do you actually know? How many have you memorized? How many of them have you heard from him that you reviewed in the last week or two? I mean, it's no wonder that we get filled with anxiety when, when we are not holding on to God's promises. Hold on to them. You've got to hold on to God's promises for yourself. You know, and it's, it is, it's the promises of God that we hold on to. It's not the church. It, in fact, it's not even this book it's not, oh, I got my Bible. It's the things God says in this book. It's just a book. It's God's word that we hold on to. You got that, right? Okay. I didn't just throw the book of the word of God into the... You're with me on that. You heard me on that, right? Okay. Careful, Terry. Stepping out on ice there again. And, and you know, we have an enemy that, that will just want to he, the enemy will want to just pull us down and that's why we have to have God's word hidden in our heart. Because in those moments it'll come up and there will be that promise and it will give you a safe place to, to anchor yourself down. Okay, back to, to our text, 2 Corinthians one twenty. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, here's another part. We've been building up our theology. God's a promiser. He keeps his promises. He wants us to test his promises, his promises are activated by faith. And now today, God's promises are experienced in Jesus Christ. Now, if you got your Bible with you, underline that. In Jesus Christ. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. In him. They find their yes in him. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God. That's it. All of the promises of God are Jesus Christ. So our promises that we've been going through, first, the first week was, I will not fear God's with me. More specifically, it's Jesus Christ who is with you. Matthew 28, Jesus talking, says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, and I am with you always. It's Jesus Christ, he's the promise of God. Second week, I will not doubt God is in control. You know, and we studied Hebrews 1, God upholds the universe by the power of his word. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the instrumentality of God. He's the one that you, he, he, it's Jesus Christ. Third week, I will not despair, God is good. Jesus is good shepherd. Fourth week, I will not falter, God is watching. And we learned in Colossians 1 that the Lord is, in fact, the whole chap, first chapter of, of Colossians, uh, Colossians, it shows us the Lord is really attentive to you know, all that he's made. And our promise for today that we're going to explore is, I will not fail because God is always, always victorious. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about the one who is always victorious. In fact, it describes Jesus Christ as a mighty warrior. Make no mistake about who Jesus is. Revelation 19, talking about Christ. Listen, the world paints a generic picture of Christ as this teacher who walked around in sandals and taught peace. And that's true. I don't know about the sandals part. But it's true that he taught love. And, and that gets emphasized. But that same Jesus Christ is also the Jesus Christ of Revelation 19. And, it, and it's scripture there says, he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. 
Okay, this is a serious, this is a serious warrior we're talking about here. Someday the clouds are going to break. They're just going to break apart. And scripture says he is going to return on a white horse. And he's going to have a sharp sword coming out of his mouth with which he will slay the nations. And his name will be called the word of God. And it says he will be wearing a robe dipped in blood. (laughs) And um, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And, you know, he is going to set things right in a big hurry. With a word. With a word, he's just going to set things in place. And he's going to win. (laughs) The end of, I've read the end of the, he's going to win in the end. No matter what you face today. And Romans, you know, Okay, I went through that. I mean, all that's basically saying that God's promises are experienced in Jesus Christ. In him. Romans eleven thirty six says, of him, of him, from him, through him, to him, are all things. Jesus Christ is the promises of God. In um, Ephesians 2, it talks about um, he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. You need some peace? Is peace... Do you, could you use some? I mean, do you need that calm assurance that God is in control? I mean, it's, do you, do, I need it. I need it. And, and it isn't like God hands out peace in a pill. You know, here, take two of these and call me in the morning. Chuck Swindoll said it like this. I, I love this statement. He said, God does not dispense strength and encouragement like a druggist. He promises himself Jesus Christ is the promise of God. You get, we have to get this. He is the promise of He doesn't give you something. He is the something. It's his presence that takes away fear. It's, it's, it's his goodness and his, his sovereign power that gives me assurance and calmness in the face of difficulty. And, and that's the thing about Jesus Christ is the promises of God. I, I say, you know, I... I didn't really get a hold of this truth for a lot of years as a Christian. I'm still learning it. And I had to have personally a couple of times where I was, you know, um, you know, trying so hard to walk the Christian life and trying so hard to serve as a, and doing this and doing that and carrying the weight of ministry and the success of what was going on and what I was responsible for and what I, who I was trying to support and serve. And, um, you know, I, I, coming to this, I, I've come to this place a couple of times in my life, personally and professionally, where I was just so flat out exhausted that I was just spent. I didn't have the energy to do one more thing except to pump tears and let him drop into the earth and say, God, I'm done. Not, wasn't saying I'm quitting. I am spent. And God's, you know, loving me and saying, finally, finally you realize that it is not your strength and effort here to walk the Christian life. You know, um, I think Romans 5.10 is an incredibly overlooked verse. You know, we're probably familiar with Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? We get that one. You've heard that one. You're familiar with it. But we fail to keep on reading all the way down a couple more verses to verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you catch that? Much more. 
God is saying that there is something after the death and the resurrection that's much more. Stay with me on this because, I mean, it was a terrifically great victory when Jesus rose from the dead. But God didn't stop his input at that point. He, God keeps going. He says, much more. I mean, here, here, here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. I'm going to give it to you in a sentence that I heard um, in a sermon by another preacher. Um, it's this. God has made no provision for you to live the Christian life. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, no, God has made no provision for you to live the Christian life. He's, the Christian life is Christ in you. I get this. I mean, it, it, and when I finally started to get it, it starts changing my life. Jesus Christ is the Christian life. It's him. It's not me acting like Jesus. <laughs> it's me yielding to the presence of him through the spirit in my life. And those are not the same thing. I mean, it's good to be an imitator of Christ. It's good to, to assess the way you behave and say, is that how Jesus, is? what would Jesus do? That's good. It's good to do those things. But one of those two things is religion. And, um, you know, it's, it can turn into performing and acting and, you know, going through emotions, trying to be a Christian. You're going to be a Christian. And that can get stale and ritualistic and exhausting. And it's dangerous because not only will it wear you out, but it also, on the other end of the spectrum, gives you the opportunity to have a checklist. And you will then assess yourself and turn yourself right into a Pharisee. Hey, I did my three check marks today. Did you? <laughs> or I'm, I'm good with God because I went to church. Okay? God wants you in the, in, in, in the house of the Lord. He wants you to, 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 to be taught the word of God. He wants you to worship. But it's not a check mark thing. It's just not a checkmark thing. And, uh, you know, we get to this point where we say, you know, I just can't do all this stuff that Christians are supposed to do. Correct. You cannot. <laughs> you can't. It's Christ in you. He is the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 4, um, starting in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Wow, that's so encouraging, right? It's a great passage. I love that fact that we're resilient in all these things. You know, and how often do we hear that whole thing stop right there? Again, it's another place. But I want to know, how does this all happen, Paul? How? Tell me how, Paul. Okay, read on, Terry. Verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You know, it's, I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2. I no longer live, is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus is a Christian life. The Christian life is not made by trying to please Jesus and trying to impress Jesus and trying to imitate Jesus. And, you know, the core of the Christian life is is the Spirit of God in me. That's the core of the Christian life. That's why it's so important. You read the story of uh, Jesus and the disciples after the resurrection. It's so important where there's a point, and you read about this in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus gets, gets to these guys and says, hey, you guys plant yourselves and just hang out and wait. You wait. You just wait here. You know, I'm paraphrased now. You just wait here because the Holy Spirit's coming. You just wait. Don't do anything. Just Wait. 
well, can't we at least make the brochures? No, you just wait. Just wait. Because if you read what was going on with these guys, without the Holy Spirit, they were kind of worthless. I mean, wandering around, just kind of like, you know, running scared, denying Christ. Just, it wasn't good at all. But when the Holy Spirit got into them and upon them and filled them, they changed the world. It's Christ in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the Christian life. (laughs) There's a song... um, and I warned you beforehand that I didn't have a voice to sing, okay? So just plug your ears for a minute or something, but it's <laughs> my wife. No, not that. <laughs> okay, honey, the embarrassment will die down eventually, but there was a song in, um, in the 70s, you know, when we got saved in the 70s, a lot of the songs were just lifted straight out of Scripture. I'm not doing the Crush Satan one. You can do that another time. But anyway, um, there's one from 1 Thessalonians 5, and... Um, um, it had several repeating um, <laughs> verses. You know, rejoice evermore, for this is the will of God. Do some of you know that song? Well, I might if you sang it right, Terry. Uh, <laughs> anyway, First Thessalonians 5.16 says, you know, rejoice evermore. Re- rejoice evermore, for this is the will of God. And then you go to the next, verse 17. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. <laughs> verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. He kept saying, this is the will of God. Keep going, God, okay? You could keep going. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit, for this is the will of God. Test everything. Verse 21, for this is the will of God. Hold fast to what is good, for this is the will of God. Abstain. Verse 22, abstain from evil, for this is the will. And that's what it was like. Do this too, and this too, and this too. That's why my Christmas life was like, I got to keep adding these things. And we should have continued that verse, that song to verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. (laughs) God's going to do it. He doesn't just call me to do it. He does it. Jesus is the Christian life. And that's the question for you to ask yourself today. Have you had that crisis in your own life where you recognize this? Your ability to sanctify yourself is roughly equal to your ability to save yourself. Rhetorical question, don't answer this question, but how many of you know how to, you can, you can save yourself? Don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. I mean, you'd be wrong if you said, I can save myself. Obviously, you cannot save yourself. It's pretty much the same thing, sanctifying yourself. Colossians 2, verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, in the same way that you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The same total dependence. I can't save myself. I need God to do it for me. That same total dependence. I can't sanctify myself. I need God to do it for me. I can't make myself read the Bible. I can't make myself serve in church. I can't can't make myself fill in the blank. And it's only a growing, dynamic intimacy with Christ, with Jesus, that's the hope of the Christian life. That's it. I can't comfort myself. I can't convince myself about all these promises. I have to connect with Jesus Christ and let him show me how real they are by letting them unfold in my heart and in my own eyes as I step in faith. It's all about that. God's God's promises are experienced in 
Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. I have to say, if it wasn't for Christ in me, and I'm growing in this, I, I don't have this covered, I don't have this squared away, but if it wasn't for Christ in me, I wouldn't be standing here today. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't know how to be seeking after God, you know, as being faithful to him and what he's called us to. Lisa and I feel very, very strongly about this. We were sat in, we were in our car. You know, people said, hey, we want you to go pastor a church in Rochester. And we hadn't been to the church. And, and, and um, it, we're, we're trying to get our sea legs. Lord, what are you calling us to? And we had this conversation. Whatever it is, God will have to show up and show us. And we're, it's, we're in together on this. And, and, and that we feel really strongly. And if you've not had a personal place, a, maybe even a crisis in your life where um, you were coming to the end of your self-oriented efforts, saved by his grace, sanctified by nothing of me and all of him. And, 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 and it, so, so today's promise that we're going to get to starts with this. I will not fail. And here is a great promise from God's word in the text that we're going to be mostly spending now to finish this up today. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. I think when we think about the trials that we're facing, you know, um, I think it's probably the, the ground zero, so to speak, of the problems we face is what's most difficult is the not knowing portion. It's like, it's the not knowing that has a tendency to crush us and, and, and it kind of, it's the reason why we doubt, it's the reason why we despair and why we fear and why we falter. It's not knowing. If I knew how this was going to end up, I'd be okay. You know, we say that to ourselves and it's just not, not knowing. I can take a bad day. I can take a bad week, a month. I mean, I can get through a season, even a year or longer, as long as I know how it ends up. That helps me, right? You follow me? And, um, and, and, and that's key because that's where the promises become a part of this equation. Let's just for a minute acknowledge that everybody lives with some level of uncertainty in our life, right? Does you have anything you're uncertain about? I'd like to see hands on this one. Do you have any uncertainty in your life? <laughs> okay. Everybody's hands pretty much. I mean, um, there, there's some some level of uncertainty. And that's where Isaiah 54, 17 comes in. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. There are a lot of people in this room who I know have had a doctor say to you something like this. Hey, we got to do some more tests. And uh, well, why, what tests are we doing? And why are we doing them? Well, we're going to rule out some scary stuff. And in between that comment and the conclusion of the tests, the not knowing is so hard. And that's when you need to have something to tie yourself down to. That's when you need a buoy, something that you can strap yourself to in that storm to, to, just to carry you. And um, it's that not knowing. And for some of you, it's a, it's a health thing. For some of you, um, you know, for some of us who have had 
some health conditions, that's something you carry with you the rest of your life. Every year when the doctor says, you've got to come back and have these tests every so often, and, and when you get to a certain length of time, you could have to every two years or three years. But it's always there. For some of you, it's a family thing or a marriage thing. Some of it's a business thing. But I'm, I want to tell you that you're sitting in this room uh, full of people. You look up and down you know, these rows and these chairs there are people here who are always going to face some unknowns about their tomorrow and they just have to hold on to the promises of God and walk by faith. And you do too. You do. We all have to. We all have areas of uncertainty. We all have areas of, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know where this is all going to end up. All of us are called, every single one of us are called to walk by faith. And I'm thankful for this scripture to know that in the end, I'm not going to fail. <laughs> and you won't either. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And, and God gave this promise to the children of Israel and, and, ex, and it extends by his grace to all of us who, who call him Lord. That Hebrew word weapon literally means utensil or implement. It's actually any tool that's used against a person. You know, so for example, any person who would use their car against you, the car will not prevail. Um, their cell phone will not prevail. Their checkbook that will not prevail. Nothing fashioned, nothing formed against you for evil intent is going to prosper. No weapon formed against you, nothing against you, your family, your, your church family, God's kingdom, God's people is going to prosper. And where it says, you know, no weapon formed against you will prosper, it, it's, it's, it's not because you're some sort of an impressive person, although you are. That's not what protects you. It's because the Lord your God fights for you. The Lord is the defender of his children. Now, let me take a cautionary note. We want to bear hug ourselves to this covering, and we ought to. We love the, I love the scripture. No weapon. There have been plenty of times where I felt like weapons were being formed against me. I know they were. And I just knew, so Lord, you've got to handle this. And I, I feel so exposed and endangered, and, and I need you to cover this. And the Lord always delivers. What I need to be careful about is that I don't become the weapon formed against someone else who is standing on this promise. You follow me? This is just a cautionary note. We're going to get to the tongue in just a minute. But how many times have I thought this to myself? I want to be careful that this does not become a weapon formed against somebody else. If you want this thing to prosper, this scripture is true and the Lord is faithful. No weapon formed against you will prosper. The ESV says succeed. NIV says prevail. And what it's saying is that it's not going to win with finality. You know, there are times that a weapon may strike some damage and it may even win a battle, but it will not win in the end. So you might be thinking, well, okay, the tongue, Terry, thanks for bringing that up because um, sometimes what really hurts me is the things people say, their words. Okay, second part of the scripture. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Anybody had that going on? in your life, <laughs> something said about you because of 
you know, who you, because you stand for the Lord? Have you experienced some ridiculing because, you know, you're, you're loyal to Christ because you stand for righteousness? You know, have you experienced being rebuked because you just, you know, you, you, you absolutely stood with fidelity to God's agenda in your life? At work, where you live, wherever. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. That's a promise of God's word. And now listen, I don't want to cultivate your flesh with what I'm going to read to you now. I'm going to give you another scripture. But it also says in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Okay, let's read that one carefully. I don't want you to misunderstand this one. It's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. This scripture is not a suggestion to you that you start doling out tribulation to the people who have hurt you. That is not what it's saying here. That's God's department. What God is saying is that, listen, it's way worse for them than if you did. I hate to say that. But God is saying this, I'm going to cover my children. And it is a righteous thing when I make them pay for what they're doing to you. I feel like I'm just on, on tender ground right now. I almost want to take my shoes off because this is so holy and so terrible at the same time. I don't wish this upon the people who are harming me. But God is a just God. You know, God is a loving God. This, this question of God's wrath, God is a loving God and he loves you and me, but he's also a just God. And, and sin, there has to be a price for it. And, and, but his loving mercy, he loves us so much that he pays the, pays the price. But there are points where the wrath of God is that just God. Anyway, don't mistake this. This is somehow gives you the right to dole it out. This is not, and this is, this is God. God says, if somebody is making it hard for you, if they're, if they're, if they're challenging you and they're in your face and their weapon is formed against you, it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And that day will come. And that protection is for every person here who knows the pain that's caused by other people in opposition to you and to God's will for your life and God's blessing on your family. Okay, so the promise is, I will not fail. God is always victorious. No weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Righteousness is from God. I don't deserve this favor with God. I didn't earn this, but my righteousness comes from him. Amen, amen. And uh, we're going to wrap this up with one last scripture to help us with the I will not fail. And that is, I will not fail. God, God is always victorious. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Ask yourself the question, what kind of condition will Satan be after this happens? Crushed, Right? But here's the shocker in this little passage. Under whose feet will he be crushed? Your feet. Under your feet. Every temptation, every bothersome and persistent struggle and burden that hell has put on you and bitterness that he's tried to stick in a painful whatever that's gone on in your body and in your spirit, all prompted by the enemy as our soul. 
your foot will rise up one day and you will actually crush Satan by the power of God. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God wins. God wins in the end. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, 